Welcome to the Gordon Asset Management Podcast, a show for savers, investors, and entrepreneurs, helping you to stay informed, invest wisely, and achieve the unimaginable. Now, on to the show. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to the November 10th. 2020 edition of the Gordon Asset Management Podcast. Uh, today we have in studio Joe Gordon, Glenn Macromore, and myself, Todd Zempel, uh, here with you to share our thoughts on the events in the market over the last week. So the first slot I th- thought we'd cover, uh, things we're watching. So we normally end the podcast with a list of the things that we're watching. Uh, and, and so this week, I'd like to start at the end uh, because a lot of the things that we have, in fact, been watching over the past weeks, months, potentially, uh, it seems like the stars had aligned and we've seen resolution in a lot of these areas. Uh, so what what were the things we're watching? The election, landslide versus contested civil unrest, COVID developments, uh, market breadth, sector rotation, stimulus efforts, employment, inflation, money supply. Um, and investor cash positions. So let's take them uh, right from the top. So with the election, the national news networks have declared that Joe Biden is the winner of the 2020 presidential election. So that's just the news networks, right? So that's not the official vote. The reality uh, is that the race hasn't officially been called. And why is that? Well, number one, we live in a republic, not a direct democracy. Uh, So our Popular votes go into the election, and each state then assigns electors who then cast their votes, which isn't scheduled to happen until the 14th. And a lot of crazy things can happen through that electoral process. You know, one of the things that uh, really jumped out to me when I was doing some research for this uh, podcast today is the idea of quote unquote, faithless electors. So Glenn, Joe, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but what a faithless elector is, is that let's say the people vote in your state for uh, a president, let's just say it's Joe Biden. Uh, And the idea is that your state's electoral votes, those electors are then, uh, then go to the convention and cast their uh, vote in favor of the population. What's crazy is that not all states have laws, in fact, that say the electors have to have to vote in line with their populace. Right. There's only 33 states that actually have laws uh, that say you must the electors must vote in concert with uh, their their populations. And in fact, when we look at 2016, there were 10 faithless electors. Uh, Three were invalidated due to those state laws. uh, But seven weren't. And, 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 you know, at the time, this was something that I I don't think I even remember hearing that in the news. Uh, But there were certain folks that thought that uh, Hillary stole it from from Bernie. So there were electors that uh, uh, actually cast their vote for Bernie versus Hillary. Uh, So there could be any number of wild and crazy things that happen uh, as the as, as we go through this process. Um, Joe, what are your thoughts? How will this election play out? Uh, well, again, I read about everything I could this past weekend, and uh, there's just so much fraud, apparently, in up seven to ten states, depending on who you're watching and so forth. And it's all the states that were the central states of uh, 
where the election was going to be determined. Pennsylvania seems to be ground zero in Philadelphia, in fact, where uh, the Freedom Bill is and and so forth. Uh, it's, it seems kind of ironic. But uh, and then uh, you've got the Michigan issue uh, and a number of uh, states have said they're going to do recounts. Georgia is, uh, I believe, uh, Nevada or Arizona is. Uh, uh, but the charges are real. There are over 20 people that have now signed written affidavits that they spotted fraud. And uh, even some were postal service workers who were told by their supervisors. So I don't know how it's going to play out. What I hear is that these suits are hard to win. The proof is somewhat hard to prove other than uh, there are videotapes like Project Veritas uh, of exactly what we're talking about here. So, but the fact is, uh, uh, if, if this is contested, we visited this back in October, early October, a month ago, uh, when uh, chief economist at his own firm, now David Rosenberg, uh, spoke about it and what would happen. So I just think that uh, we're going to see something in the next uh, month. We got a little over a month till the electors uh, have to elect. Uh, on the 14th of December, you're going to see a lot of action in the courts. And if the state courts can't handle it, it may be remanded to the Supreme Court. A lot of people are saying the Supreme Court probably doesn't want to have to uh, handle this. John Roberts is known as being a little political. He proved that in, uh, with Obamacare in particular and other things. So, so it could be that it's kicked to the House. And uh, if it goes to the House, then the House is going to elect uh, based on who controls the legislature uh, in each state. So there's 50 votes and Republicans have over 26 of the states. So that would be real interesting if the House of Representatives, by a party line vote uh, of who controls the legislature in that state, ends up selecting the president. And then uh, in addition to that, it could be that the Senate ends up uh, voting who is the vice president. Uh, the main law is that you got to have somebody sitting in the seat January 20th. And uh, so we've got a lot of time before that happens. There's so much uh, uh, out there in the media. It's just almost uh, you don't need to watch comedy. You can just watch this. And uh, it makes you laugh on one hand. So uh, uh, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's definitely uncharted water. We've never seen this in history. And again, only one person has ever been uh, chosen as president that went through this process, and it was in 1824, and it was John Quincy Adams. So uh, that was a, that was uh, picked by the legislature, so to speak, by the House. Yeah, and the positive news is that we hadn't seen any well major disruption, civil unrest either way. I mean, there's there's protest protesters out there. Um, I think in Michigan, you know the the. Uh, pictures circulating the internet of uh, guys with their AR-15s at the Capitol building, um, you know, saying uh, protesting the outcome and et cetera. But uh, there hadn't been widespread fires or or uh, anything like that, which is positive, which was one of my major concerns. Not to say that that won't happen in the future. And in going forward, for me personally, one of my major con concerns is that because this thing is so close and we're still uh, kind of in that gray area that, that we could potentially see some issues in the future. Yeah. And I think one other thing that no one's talking about because they're focused on the presidency is that what if they do recounts in a number of these states and they throw out a lot of fraudulent mail-in ballots, which uh, many states are already saying we've got tons of them. 
And uh, all of a sudden, you flip a Senate seat or two. For example, John James in Michigan, uh, a black uh, uh, ex-military um, uh, vet, a very uh, family business. Uh, he was leading on Tuesday night. And then somehow, when uh, and Trump was leading by 600,000 votes in Michigan Tuesday night, I believe. And then somehow, uh, he barely has lost. But you could have... Senate seats flip and even House. And uh, so that blue wave everyone talked about didn't happen. And and in fact, the Republicans picked up so far, I think, five seats in the House. And uh, and the Senate is 48-48. Some say it's 50-48 with the recount in Georgia for both Senate seats January the 5th. Uh, And we'll see what happens there. So there's going to be a long period of time before we probably know how this all is settled. That's right. And when talking about politics, you know, this is this is one area that everybody gets bent out of shape on. Uh, but I want to stress, you know, our view is apolitical. We're not you know, pulling for one candidate versus the other. What, what our ultimate concern is that uh, he's taking care of your money. Right. Uh, so it, it, to us, it's all about what are the potential outcomes for the market um, and for investors. You know, when I when I think about the election, I think anytime you get millions and millions of people together to do anything, there's going to be fraud, right? <laughs> Just because that's human nature. Uh, so I think it's it's one of these situations where if you dig, you're going to find it. You know, was there was there fraud in the 2016 election? Yeah, probably. Was there fraud in the uh, elections before? Yeah, probably. And it's just a matter of how deep you want to dig to actually find it. Um, and I think that if they do find some things and and uh, these court cases develop, that there could be real risks in the market for volatility. Yeah, and I think one good outcome here is going to be that uh, just like Florida in the year 2000, they had a messy system and they were the laughing stock of the country in the Gore versus Bush uh, hanging Chad episode uh, until the Supreme Court forced the decision. Uh, and obviously Bush won barely. Uh, but the good outcome, Florida cleaned up their process, and uh, they're one of the most populous states in the country, and somehow they were able to count every ballot uh, and all of the people that voted on that day or early voted and actually declare a winner uh, on that Tuesday night election day. So that's probably a state that many other states are going to look to, man, maybe we should have your system and uh, so that the country spared going through this again. Right. And and big picture, uh, you know, this would be a perfect uh, case study for a uh, blockchain open ledger technology for voting uh, because it is open ledger and, and it would be hard to corrupt and implement fraud through an open ledger, uh, ledger blockchain technology. But uh, who knows where things will go? A, a couple slides that we covered last week. Uh, just looking at historical performance. So uh, shortly after the election, leading up to the election and shortly thereafter, uh, signals are pointing towards divided government with a Democrat president, uh, which has historically shown that that's been the best uh, for markets. Not to say, not to say that uh, uh, history uh, doesn't repeat itself, but uh, that has historically been the best scenario, which is probably why Mark's markets rallied into the election and shortly after. Uh, another slide from from last uh, week shows the same exact thing. Divided Congress, um, that that's typically uh, shown the best outcome for investors. 
Um, and, and lastly, another slide from CNBC showing the same exact thing. So I think investors, to some degree, uh, were taking solace in the fact that we could potentially have divided government. Uh, any other thoughts on the election, Joe? Only other thought is that uh, I, I've kind of, since you just said CNBC, uh, in particular, you watched them a lot during the day. They have probably the best business news coverage of any other uh, network. Uh, Fox Business maybe uh, a, a close second, but uh, they had a they had a party line towing that it was going to be a blue wave, and that was why the market melted up all last week. And Glenn and I talked about it that it's so funny that. Uh, right when uh, it wasn't a blue wave, they changed their narrative that ha- that the market melted up because uh, it was cheering in divided government. And there's one thing people know that have been around politics and the markets for the last 20 or 30 years is that uh, divided governments are generally preferred because much less change happens. Things stay more the same. Uh, moving on, uh, so markets went parabolic on Monday, the 9th, uh, on the open on news that Pfizer's uh, COVID vaccine has a 90% efficacy rate or 90% effective. Uh, so, Joe, are we looking at a global melt-up in the global economy? Well, yesterday, uh, I think the Dow was up 1,600 points uh, pre-open, and it ended up plus 700 to 800 for the day on memory. Uh, it was clearly a melt up that the economy was going to open up. And obviously, if you looked at the price action yesterday of the hospitality industry related stocks, especially look at airplanes and cruise lines, uh, I think all the cruise lines uh, were up 30 percent plus yesterday uh, to speak of. And obviously, that's just uh uh, the market saying, hey, we, we're close to having something that will work and therefore all of these companies won't go bankrupt. They actually will be able to resume. But, uh, you know, we'll see how long the melt up lasts. Uh, uh, but at, at, uh, at, at the close yesterday, it was interesting that uh, the stay at home tech stocks all started to crumble. And the big leading losers yesterday was Zoom Video. It was DocuSign. It was Peloton. Uh, and even I thought it was funny that Clorox was down 7%. I guess people will not be using as many wipes going forward. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you know, and for me, this this Pfizer news, um, it, it's, it's so much more than COVID because this is the first vaccine developed on messenger RNA technology. And so, I don't claim to be an election expert and I don't claim to be a virologist, uh, but I read this stuff and it's very interesting to me. This new technology that they're using to develop this vaccine is based on messenger RNA. And basically what that is, is uh, they can synthetically in a lab create this messenger RNA. And what that RNA does is it tells your DNA to produce uh, certain proteins. And these are the antigens that um, signal the virus. Uh, so th- so when you think about the coronavirus, the reason it's called corona because it's the way it looks on the outside. It looks like a crown. So these proteins form that crown-like shape. And so this new technology, this RNA technology, what it does is it, it's injected into you and your cells actually, uh, the DNA produces, it, the RNA tells the DNA to produce these same proteins. And that way your immune system uh, can go ahead and uh, it, it, it signals an immune system response and your 
immune system takes over and flags that protein and helps you build the immunity. So this is a very new technology. It's never been implemented in humans before uh, in terms of a vaccine, but this is also the same technology that they are using to um, fight cancer, cancer cures. Uh, so right now, uh, some of these companies are using this uh, messenger RNA technology to identify some of the proteins uh, created by cancerous cells. And so then they go back to the lab, create this quote unquote vaccine using this um, mRNA, mRNA, messenger RNA injected into you. And then your body learns a response to go ahead and text those cells. So, this is so much more than COVID. This is potentially a cure for cancer. This is also the same technology uh, that they're using to uh, do things like, you know, if you have a spinal cord injury, you can recreate uh, spinal uh, cord cells, things like this. So this is huge. This is uh, a mega breakthrough. All the headlines are around, okay, you know, there's a potential light at the end of the tunnel with COVID, but assuming this works, this could be huge for all humanity even. Um, and, and so it's an area that I'm very interested in, in and passionate about. And if you as a listener are somebody who's in this field and wants to come on the podcast and talk about this, definitely reach out. We, we'd love to have you on and learn a little bit more about this technology. Uh, moving on to uh, more COVID development. So uh, in, in spite of this good news with Pfizer, uh, COVID cases are climbing. COVID cases over week over week climbed uh, 758,000, uh, close to 10 million cases. Uh, hospitalizations also jumped huge, uh, up almost 11,000 to 60,000 currently. And deaths also jumped big, 7,000 week over week to 230,000. So uh, not good news uh, on, on the spread. Um, and then also looking at uh, where the spread is occurring, as of October 29th, zero states are on track to contain the virus. 25 states are actually experiencing an active or imminent outbreak, um, and 20 states are at risk of becoming an outbreak. And so this data comes from a website called COVID Act Now. Um, and then on the other side of that, too, so we have this good news with the vaccine, but then uh, question two is how soon can we get it uh, out to everybody? Um, the good news is with this RNA technology, it is actually very cheap to produce, and it can be done in uh, without uh, major complex labs, which, again, is, is kind of this breakthrough in this technology, which is very interesting. Uh, so we've got our fingers crossed there. Things are getting worse, uh, not just here locally, uh, but around around the world. Also in Europe, uh, they're starting to impose curfews and lockdowns again. Uh, so, so not great news on the COVID front there. So now onto the markets. Uh, so this was the big news on on the Pfizer news. Uh, the market uh, jumped, and, and we are potentially starting to see some of this. Uh, rotation we've been talking about. Yeah, so interestingly, in the U.S. last week, the, I mean, there was a melt up for sure. And again, it wasn't a blue wave. Maybe it's divided government. Who knows? Uh, but at the end of the day, the S&P was up almost 7% to uh, take its year-to-date return to 9.36. And what's significant about that is that about two to three weeks ago, it was up 9% year-to-date, and then the meltdown started happening towards the election and gave back all the gains. It was just kind of interesting. So this is a good good reason we tell uh, clients, look, there's always going to be noise. 
There's always going to be short-term volatility. You're never going to be able to outguess the market. And if you stayed invested, if you know, the S&P 500 or some proxy of that is, is part of your long-term strategy, you would be fine if you didn't do anything uh, two to three weeks ago. You'd be right where you were. Others that panic and they want to trade on noise clearly obviously missed out. So uh, that's one, one takeaway. The other one is uh, uh, the, the NASDAQ also melted up and up 6%. Taking it back right to its year-to-date high almost, I think just short of it, uh, of a little over 33%. And again, uh, NASDAQ, about 40% of that index is the Met 5 megatech stocks. Uh, but the Russell 2000 uh, continues to, to impress, and it was still doing uh, near-term since September, the best of any index. And it was up over 8% last week, uh, which takes it up year to date 2%. Uh, and again, it was down 20% for a long time back in the April, May, June period. And then lastly, bonds basically fell a tiny bit, but year to date, the Barclays Ag up 6.32. So what about breadth and sector rotation? Uh, still, if you look at the Russell 2000 level change uh, since October 30th, up 10%, 10.83%. Uh, and then uh, the S&P equal weight, this is a key indicator for us, 10.71. Those are the two best. What's that saying is it's not the rally's not just uh, five megatechs anymore. Small cap stocks are up there leading it, which tells you it could be a secular growth story. And, and again, with uh, the Pfizer announcement and, and global economy opening up, uh, we're likely that, that we're on to something there. And then you've got uh, the fact that many of the participants in the S&P 500 index were losing all year and to see that rally going since October 30th, that's good. Uh, but, but those are the two big things uh, to note there. Interestingly, uh, the NASDAQ 100 uh, since then is up the least at 5%. Yeah, so Glenn, um, this was a wild week. Any surprises? Uh, did it play out as you thought it would? What are your thoughts? Well, I think the surprising thing to me was that the uh, megatechs really lagged on the week, especially towards the end. And I think that what that might be signaling is that, A, um, there might not be as as friendly of a uh, government response, I think, to the megatechs. Um, you might see a little bit more scrutiny as far as um, litigation against them by the government for privacy or other things. And so, um, but then also clearly uh, the Russell 2000 being the, the winner, uh, you have to remember a significant portion of the Russell 2 is uh, financials. And uh, what we saw was that the, the interest rate on the 10-year went up and uh, also the, the curve, the shape of the curve steepened a little bit. And so it's not surprising to see the Russell 2000 really lead the way because a significant portion of that uh, index is in financials and financials do extremely well in an environment where A, yields are going up and B, the shape of the curve is increasing. Um, so you know, hindsight obviously being 2020, it, it's not surprising to see that, but um, going forward, I think if you have an, an environment like what we've seen over the past week where yields kind of creep up and you could see the 10-year go to 1.2 or 1.3 and the shape of the curve um, steepen as well, 
that would be good for financials. And I think you'd see a lot of the same um, uh, rotation that we've seen out of the megatech momentum names into uh, some of the more uh, laggards of, of the S&P 500 from a sector standpoint. And that would be financials, energy, energy and industrials. Yeah, and to add to that, I think uh, the megatechs, at least two of them, if not three or four of the five, have significant uh, political risk, geopolitical, antitrust risk. Uh, Amazon was named in a big suit in, by the European Union yesterday. Uh, so you're, they've got those risk factors that the rest of the uh, participants don't. And uh, as we like to say, when you see a major move, yesterday was a great year uh, for energy and financials. I mean, you saw energy uh, move. Some of the strongest companies we like, Williams Companies and Chevron, uh, up around 8 to 10 percent in one day. And then you also saw in the financials, J.P. Morgan was up around 12 to 13 percent and even Prudential on the insurance side because of this 10 year move and, and uh, spreads widening uh, was up 15 uh, percent. Uh, so it was really kind of crazy to watch this because those two sectors, energy and financials, had been the dogs uh, all year with uh, uh, massive losses uh, uh, year to date. But uh, yesterday they st- uh, really started to come back. My God, could this be the moment that value starts to outperform? Don't say it. <laughs> I hope we didn't. I hope I just didn't jinx us. Uh, so U.S. employment. So this was other really good news on the week, aside from the uh, stellar news with the Pfizer vaccine results. Um, the unemployment rate fell by roughly one percent down to six point nine percent. And then again, this is down from 14 percent, 14.7 percent at the peak back in May. Uh, continuing claims fell by 471,000 to 7.7 million week over week. Uh, initial claims held about steady, though. Um, so that's that's not the best of news, but but again, uh, unemployment's trending down. So that's extremely positive. Uh, if who would have known that uh, you know at the height of this thing, when 15 percent of the uh, working population was unemployed, uh, that uh, by the end of the year we would be back to six or seven percent uh, unemployment. And the, and the political side of that is that there are some uh, senators. Uh, U.S. senators that are saying uh, maybe we don't need a second stimulus. Things are improving on their own. And uh, and even though the House and the White House with Mnuchin as Treasury Secretary leading those conversations wanted to do 1.8 to 2.2 trillion, uh, the U.S. Senate uh, has got a not so much, not so fast attitude right now. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the better the unemployment news, the less urgency on the stimulus. Um, so who who knows what will happen there? I, uh, what do you think, Joe? Do you think we'll get any kind of stimulus before the end of the year? I do not. I don't think there's any way possible until you have the Senate decided January the 5th, hopefully by midnight January the 5th, <laughs> unless uh, they have some irregularities in counting in Georgia. Who knows? I don't see how you get anything before the end of the year with the contested election and not everything that's so up in the air. That's right. That's right. The Fed did reduce the minimum on their Main Street lending program from a quarter million to a hundred thousand dollar loans. You know, the Main Street lending program, it just hadn't been utilized like the uh, PPP program. So I don't know if that will move the needle for people or not. So we'll we'll see. We'll see. 
Uh, last but not least, inflation, gold, and the monetary supply. This is Glenn Macro Moore's one of his favorite topics to talk about. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on what's going on here, Glenn? Well, this is um, it's very similar to what we talked about earlier, where um, interest rates obviously have been uh, reacting to uh, a the the dollar, but then b also um, the the level of the uh, inflation that we've seen. And, and I think that the last reading that we had was at 1.29%. But uh, what I think is, is being sniffed out is if, if there is any type of stimulus um, and, and not as much coming from the, the Fed, but more so from Congress in the, in the form of um, you know, direct payments to citizens and also um, you know, increased spending. Um, I, I do think that that could be uh, an inflationary uh, um, catalyst uh, for the, the economy. And I think that you would probably see uh, that number uh, start to uh, tick up pretty significantly and pretty fa- and pretty quickly on a rate of change basis from 1.29. Um, so, I mean, when you look at, Joe and I were just talking yesterday, when you look at a lot of the components that go into the inflation calculation. And I know that the Fed always likes and, and a lot of the talking heads like to um, X food and energy. But the fact of the matter is, is, is that food and energy are, are costs that people have to pay. And uh, energy hasn't hasn't really been a huge uh, catalyst for inflation, although we may start to see that now with uh, oil spiking about 8% yesterday. I think it's north of $40 a barrel. Um but food costs obviously have been going up. Uh, lumber, the price of lumber has been going up. Uh, silver obviously has been on a tear. That's a huge input commodity, uh, as well as copper. And so uh, you're starting to see the, these parts of the market um, kind of signal, signal, and I think sniff out the uh, coming inflation. And uh, that's that's a pretty uh, hotly contested um, and debated topic in our industry too. There's there's some people that think that we might we may see some inflation here in the near future, and then there's others that are staunchly against it. Um, I think that that you know we probably would would say that at least in the short term you may see a little bit, um, but uh, I think there there are a lot of longer term um, headwinds against inflation. So it's it's uh, it, it depends on your time horizon. And so if we kind of look at this chart and go forward, and you continue say six months to twelve months from today. If you've got a money supply uh, increase uh, from earlier this year of just under 23%, and they do a, a, another stimulus, and then you still have the vo- velocity of money down almost 20% year to date, but as the economy start opening up, which I'm going to predict globally will happen beginning in the spring as we get toward nicer weather after maybe the dark winter that uh, I guess that's what Biden calls it. Is that what he's referring to? I don't know. Yeah. But but to me, the velocity of money has been negative 20 percent has totally been offsetting this uh, money supply increase. And and uh, but that trend may change uh, as things open up. And then, uh, as Glenn said, you may start seeing uh, inflation in the numbers and the way they calculate the index. One thing to keep an eye on is the dollar. And uh, yesterday, the dollar was strengthening, and we're looking at gold is still up 28% year to date uh, in dollar terms, dollar uh, percentages. So, uh, but you know, the money supply 
versus the velocity of money, the velocity of money that has the really staunch anti-inflation people saying that, you know, it, that you can't have inflation when the velocity is going way negative. And the only caveat to the on the last slide about uh, stimulus is I, I think uh, unless we saw a repeat of the fall of or really December of 2018 and we have um, a three-week roughly uh, correction of 18%. Uh, I think that probably Congress and, and the Fed would um, come up with some sort of stimulus pretty quickly um, since they are market uh, dependent. And uh, if that was the case, uh, look out for the price of gold uh, to go up, the value of the dollar to go down, and probably Bitcoin and other inflationary assets that we talked about, like like um, commodity or, or excuse me, copper, silver, um, to go up in, in kind with gold. That's right. And, and so for everybody on the podcast, I think you need to look up the term modern monetary theory and, and learn about it and get used to what it means because it's coming, like it or not, it's on its way. In fact, it's probably already here. Uh, so with that said, we're going to close it up for today. Anybody have any closing thoughts before we shut it down? I am spoken. Joe hath, hath spoken. <clears throat> Excellent. All right. So everybody, uh, thanks a lot for joining us today. Visit our website, wealthqb.com. Follow us on social media and all that good stuff. Thanks a lot. Have a great one. The information in this podcast is presented for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. Opinions expressed to those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect those of Gordon Asset Management LLC, its producers, hosts, or guests. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risks. Neither Gordon Asset Management LLC nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.